thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather together this day. Lord, we thank you for this place that you have provided for us to meet, to assemble, to study your word, and to uh, worship, and to uh, share our lives together to meet, and to uh, be a source of encouragement and strength one to another. Lord, and I thank you for our church. I thank you for our congregation. Thank you for each one. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, go through this week, that you would lead us and direct us, Lord, and help us to experience uh, your peace and your guidance and your direction as we uh, prayerfully consider your word and your will and, and the direction that you would have us to go. And Lord, we pray that you guide our steps and help us to uh, submit to your will and to be willing to follow you, whatever it may cost. And so, uh, so Lord, we pray for your direction. We pray for our brothers and sisters at First Baptist as their worship be now, that you would uh, also lead them and grant them a spirit of unity and peace and the same, that you would guide and direct and we would determine what's best for your kingdom, for our community, for our congregations, and for us as individual believers. We want to grow in our faith and we want to grow in our fruitfulness and effectiveness for your kingdom. And so we pray that you would grant us your wisdom and direction. And Lord, I Again, thank you for each one, and may we be encouraged and strengthened by being in your presence and offering you our worship this day. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, let me uh, encourage you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel. Our call to worship this morning will come from 1 Samuel. Uh, prayer that Hannah, Samuel's mother, prays, having been given after a period of infertility, having been given a son, and she uh, prays a, a prayer of praise to the Lord, very similar to the prayer that we will see from Mary later in our service uh, when she magnifies the Lord, having been told by the angel and confirmed by Elizabeth that she will give birth to a, to a child. That will be the savior of the world. And so we're focusing on these women and their prayers to the Lord in response to God's grace and choosing them to be mothers of very special children. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. To set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning that you are sovereign and that you are in charge of all uh, the affairs of, of men, that you, you uh, work and direct according to your purpose and your glory. And Lord, we're thankful that you have chosen the weak things to confound the strong, the mighty, that you have chosen the foolish things to confound the things which are wise. You have chosen the things that are not to confound the things that are. And Lord, we're just thankful for the, the revolution that Jesus brings as he comes and, and brings life to those who are humble and who 
confess their sinfulness and their helplessness and their hopelessness before you and turn and come to Jesus in repentance and faith, born again to new life. And Lord, we're thankful for his sinless life, for his death on the cross, for his glorious resurrection and his presence now in the person of the Holy Spirit, enabling us, empowering us to offer you our worship. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us hearts that seek to see you glorified and seek to do that which is pleasing in your sight. May your spirit lead us to worship you in spirit and truth this day. And may we be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, let me encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn number one. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under His wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires there have been granted in what he ordained? Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord, O oh, let all that is in me adore him. All that hath life and breath come now with praises before him. Let the Amen sound from his people again. Gladly for I we adore him. All right, if you would flip over now to hymn number 83, Be Thou My Vision. All right, if you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke. Back to Luke after a couple of weeks, uh, looking at uh, the announcement and the response to the announcement of the birth of our Lord Jesus. And uh, we have seen the angel appear to Zacharias, to Mary, and Mary traveled to Elizabeth. And uh, now we read of Mary's uh, response, Mary's song of praise to the Lord who had graciously chosen her from all the women of the earth, all the women who ever lived, to be the one woman who would conceive as the Holy Spirit came upon her, the power of the Most High overshadowed her and conceived in her womb the one who would become the Son of God. And she responds to that blessing with a song of praise, uh, uh, a song worshiping the Lord God who had shown such grace toward her. And we look at that song today and uh, the, the revolution that the baby that she will bring into the earth will bring to the earth. And so in Luke chapter 1, our text today, Luke chapter 1, beginning in the 46th verse. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. 
For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word, Lord, and we're thankful that you have spoken to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver us your word in a way that is perfect, without error, profitable to us, and sufficient for us. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit, the spirit of truth, would lead us today to understand the truth and to believe the truth and then to apply the truth to our lives. Lord, may our souls magnify you. May we rejoice in you, our Savior. May we give you praise because of the great things that you have done and the great things that you are doing in the world through your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, it had been a quite amazing few days for Mary. Uh, one day she was just going about her task, a very young girl, 12, 13 years old, in an out-of-the-way uh, village of Nazareth, a no-name village, a village that most people uh, uh, had never heard of, never mentioned in the Old Testament, totally insignificant. She's going about her day, and an angel appears to her, an angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Rejoice, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And she was startled. This angel appeared to her. Gabriel had been sent from the presence of the Lord to deliver her a message. And she was startled, wondering what kind of greeting this would be. And the angel began to inform her that she would conceive a child. She would conceive in her womb a child. And she would bring forth a son. And she would call his name Jesus. And his son would be great, called great. And he would be uh, the son of of the Most High, and the Lord would give him the throne of his father David. She would give birth to the king, to the king of Israel, to the king of the Jews, and one that would also be called the Son of God, and that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there would be no end to his kingdom. And Mary believed, and yet she didn't understand how this would be, and so she asked, uh, how can this be? I've known not a man. And the angel told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the highest would overshadow her so that the Holy One to be born of her would be called the Son of God. She believed. And uh, she didn't ask for a sign like Zacharias had, but the Lord gave her a sign anyway. He said, Elizabeth, your relative who is uh, beyond the age of bearing children, she herself has conceived and now is in her sixth month. He gave the sign of Elizabeth as a sign to show that nothing was impossible to the Lord. And Mary simply believed the message that the angel delivered, and she submitted herself, surrendered to the will of God, saying, I am the Lord's maidservant. Let it be to me according to your word. And then she made haste and went to visit Elizabeth, the sign that had been given to her to go and see for herself what the angel had said, and to be a source of encouragement to Elizabeth, Elizabeth a source of encouragement to her, she traveled to, uh, uh, to that no-named village where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived outside in the hill country of Judah. And when she entered the house, Elizabeth greeted her with a, a greeting very similar to that that the angel had given to her. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Elizabeth said, you know, how has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord would visit me? And she told her that while the, the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And so she had experienced all of this. The angel had announced her blessed. Elizabeth had announced her blessed. They had focused on how the Lord had chosen to bless her 
And then Mary deflects that praise, those words directed to her, and she deflects that praise, and she begins to praise the Lord. She sings, sings a song of joy and a song of praise to God. Mary recognizes that God had not chosen her because she was blessed. God did not choose her because of who she was. God did not choose her because of some special characteristic or some quality within her. She was a, a no-name little girl in a no-name village and, and uh, uh, engaged to be married to a no-named man, a blue-collar worker that worked with his hands. She was a nobody from no place, and yet God chose her. God did not choose her because she was blessed, because she was special. She was blessed because God in his sovereign grace chose her. And so when the angel and Elizabeth say that she is blessed, she immediately turns that around and does not focus on herself and does not focus on the fact that she's been chosen, doesn't focus on the mission that she's going to accomplish, the task that she's going to do. She focuses all her praise on the Lord and she magnifies the Lord. She rejoices in his grace and his kindness to her. And so Mary deflects the praise, the, the blessing, the words of encouragement and comfort from Elizabeth, and she focuses that praise and adoration on God himself. She magnifies the Lord. She magnifies the Lord who has shown her grace. And, uh, you know, I, I think of this, uh, this passage, and it's very similar. You can compare. You spent some time this week looking at the the comparison between the song of Hannah that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and this song, very similar. But Mary sings praise to the Lord who has come and to turn the world right side up. <laughs> you know, God created the universe. He created the universe to display his glory. He did not have to create, but he chose to create, and he chose to create a creation that every aspect, every part of creation would somehow reflect his glory and his honor. He created, he created, and then he finally, on the sixth day, created man in his own image. He created humans to display his glory. He created humans in his own image that they might reflect his glory and that they might have dominion over the creation that he made. God created uh, he created us in his own image so we could know him, so we could have a relationship with him, so we could have a fellowship with him, and so that we could display his glory. But in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered creation, sin entered the universe. The man and the woman sinned against God and fell into a condition of sin and misery, turning the world upside down, turning creation upside down, backwards, marred, not... Uh, uh, fully fulfilling the purpose for which God had created. Instead of seeking to glorify God, man sought to glorify himself and put his trust in himself and his own wisdom and his own knowledge and his own intuition, following his own heart. The world was turned upside down by sin and rebellion. And the man and the woman fell into a condition of sin and misery. And all who are born from Adam and Eve are born dead and trespasses in sin, seeking to glorify self instead of glorifying God. And now Mary announces that the Lord has come and the Lord is coming to turn the world right side up. Our sin has turned it upside down, but God comes to make things right, to make things right side up. And the first we see that Mary says the Lord is making things right side up in her own heart, in her own life. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And so Mary here acknowledges and she sings praise to God who has, who has come to, to, to save her. She acknowledges her sinfulness. She acknowledges that God has not chosen her because she was blessed, because she was better than anyone else, because she herself was sinless. She acknowledges that she herself is a sinner in need of God's grace. She needs forgiveness of sins. She needs a Savior. And she acknowledges that, uh, that, that God has come to, to save her, that God has come to show His mercy and grace to her. She rejoices in the Lord. 
And she sings praise to his name, magnifies to make his glory known, to exalt, to praise the Lord and, and rejoice in the salvation that God has given her, the gift of grace and mercy that he has bestowed upon her. She recognizes that she's not any better than anyone else, but she has simply been chosen by God to do something that no one else would do. She acknowledges her need for a Savior, and she says that he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. He has regarded, looked upon with favor, the lowly state of his slave girl. We talked about Mary a few weeks ago. You know, Mary was uh, very young, a young teenage girl, just an ordinary girl, raised in Israel, doing the ordinary things, but we see she has a pretty good knowledge of Scripture. She has a pretty good knowledge of who God is. Uh, and, uh, uh, and yet she's a little girl, ordinary girl, living in an out-of-the-way village, a no-name village that no one would recognize, no one would know anything about. In fact, the village, those who knew about the village, it had a bad reputation. And uh, one of Jesus' disciples said, you know, can anything really good come out of Nazareth? She was from this village and she was engaged to be married to a, a man who was a, a carpenter who would inherit the carpenter visit from his father, a blue-collar man who worked with his hands, who worked a day's work for a day's wage in order to earn his daily bread. You might say that he lived paycheck to paycheck. And when he would go to the temple to redeem his firstborn son, he couldn't afford the offering of a lamb and have to offer two doves. Just an ordinary man, a blue-collar worker, a man who worked with his hands. She was betrothed to be married to him. A day laborer, works for his wage, day to day, to earn his daily bread. Very ordinary, very common. Nothing special about Mary, nothing special about Joseph. Mary was to be blessed among women, but not because of anything within her, but because God had chosen her. God regarded the lowly state of his slave girl. And because of God's grace, because of God's favor, because God looked upon her with mercy and grace, that is the reason that all generations will call her blessed. And so Mary recognizes God has come to make things right side up with her. He's regarded his, her lowly estate. He has lifted her up and chosen her to be used in his plan to redeem sinful people to himself. And she recognizes that it is the Lord who is strong. The Lord is mighty. And the Lord has done great things for me. And holy is his name. She recognizes God's sovereign grace and sovereign choice. And by God's favor, he chose her of all the women of the earth to be the one that would bear his son. And he had done what to humans was impossible, making the Holy Spirit overshadow her, coming upon her, so that she would conceive, as a virgin, conceive in her womb the one who would be called the Son of God. And so God has done great things for her. He is holy, and he has sovereignly chosen her. Mary is to be blessed among women, but not uh, she is not blessed because of anything within her. She is blessed simply because God chose her, and God chose to bless her. And so God turns all things right side up for Mary. But not just Mary. He turns things, he is coming to turn things right side up for the whole universe, for all of creation. Mary says, he has looked upon me with favor. He has regarded the lowly state of his little slave girl... He has come to be my Savior, showing me mercy and grace and showing his power in my life. But not only that, not only has he come to make my life right side up, he has come to turn the whole world right side up. She says in verse 50, his mercy is great on those who fear him from generation to generation. And so it is not just her, it is all who fear him. God has come to make things all right side up for those who recognize their need for a Savior. Just as Mary, she, she rejoices in God her Savior. She sees her sinfulness, her unworthiness, her lowly estate. The fact that she is simply a slave girl of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, who recognize their need for a Savior. Those who recognize their sinfulness. Those who see the holiness of God and see that they fall short. And those that see that they deserve nothing from God except His wrath. They deserve nothing from God but judgment. And they stand before God 
knowing that they are guilty, that they are condemned by his holiness, condemned by his law, condemned by their sinfulness. And they stand in fear and awe and reverence of God, recognizing the only hope for them is God to be merciful and gracious to them. His mercy is on those who fear them, those who recognize their sinfulness, who recognize their helplessness and their hopelessness, who recognize that God's holiness condemns them, and they stand before him in fear and reverence and awe. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. God has not just come to set things right, uh, right side up in Mary's life, but he is sending his son to make things right side up for every generation, from generation to generation, to those who recognize their need for a Savior, their sinfulness, their helplessness, and their hopelessness before God. God has come to make things right side up for those who fear Him. In verse 51, He has shown His strength with His arm, and He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And so God has come to make things right side up. Those who are proud, those who follow their hearts who think that they are wise and think that they need to make a name for themselves. God comes and he, and he scatters the proud. He scatters those who, who exalt themselves and who trust in their own wisdom, their own understanding, their own knowledge. Jesus is coming to bring a revolution and to gather those that are humble and to gather his sheep, but scatter those who are proud in the imagination of their hearts. And as I think about this verse, I think about the, the men after the uh, flood of Noah. The, God had given the command for men to, to, to scatter over the face of the earth, to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It was his plan, his design to, to fill every corner of this globe, every corner of the earth with image bearers that he might be glorified in every inch of the earth. And so he told those image bearers to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. But what did they do in their rebellion? They gathered together on a plain. They gathered together in the plain of Shinar. And it was the imagination of their hearts, it was the desire of their hearts to build for themselves a city, a massive city. Instead of scattering over the earth to gather in one place, one city, and in that city to build a tower that would reach to heaven that they might make a name for themselves. In the imagination of their heart, they sought their own glory. They sought to make a great city. They sought to make a tower to reach to heaven. In the imagination of their heart, they were proud. They exalted themselves. And what did God do? God came down, confused their languages, and because of the confusion of their languages, they scattered. They did what God had intended, what God had commanded them to do anyway, but they didn't do it because they desired to fill the globe with image bearers. They did it because they now uh, had adversity with one another as God created the nations, God created their ethnicities, and they spread, they scattered over the earth as an act of God's judgment. God came down to see their little puny tower, and he scattered the proud, those who, in the imagination of their hearts, in rebellion against God, wanted to gather, make a name for themselves, build a great city and build a tower that came up to heaven, God came and scattered the proud. And God has come to turn the world right side up. He puts the, verse 52, he puts the mighty down from their thrones. Those who have risen to the place of authority and power over, over men, over humans, power over nations, power over those ethnic groups, those that are mighty, those that are strong, and they have installed themselves to rule over people. God comes and he puts those mighty down. He puts down the mighty from their thrones, those who trust in their military strength, those who trust in their economic power, those who trust in the elements of national power and, and authority and ruling over people with the sword. God has come to put them down, to throw the mighty off of their thrones. And instead, in their place, what does God do? He exalts the lowly. Those who are humble, those who fear him, those who come before him, God has come to put down the mighty from the thrones and to call to himself the weak, to confound the things that are mighty, 
the foolish to confound the things that are wise, the things that are not to confound the things that are. God has chosen the weak things of the world, the lowly of the world. And those who humble themselves and come to him in repentance and faith and are born again to new life, they will sit on thrones judging the tribes of Israel and judging the nations when Jesus comes again. God has come to put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt the lowly. God installed a king of Israel, Saul, who was what all uh, people would want as a king. He was tall, he was strong, he was mighty, he was a warrior, he was a natural leader. But God rejected Saul and instead put on the throne a man after his own heart, a little shepherd boy. And when the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house, nobody thought to call the little shepherd boy. But God exalted the lowly and put him on the throne of Israel. God shows the strength of his arm. He scatters the proud in the imagination of their heart. He throws the mighty off of their thrones and installs the lowly. In verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. And that son that Mary bears, 30 years later, will go and preach and teach throughout Galilee. This son of a carpenter, this man that hadn't been educated in the great schools of his people, but had been raised by a carpenter, working with his hands, working a day's labor for a day's wage in order to purchase his daily bread, living paycheck to paycheck, a humble carpenter from an out-of-the-way place where people believed that nothing good could come from. Jesus went and he taught and he performed the signs to show that he had come from God and he gathered to himself thousands on the hillside, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. 5,000 men, and they brought their wives and their children, and they sat there and listened to him teach and brought their sick to him, and he healed them. And then when it came time for lunch, the disciples said, send them away. Uh, it's time to eat, and, and if, we had, uh, if, we, if we had six months' wages, we wouldn't be able to buy enough food for all these people. And oh, by the way, there's no place to buy the food even if we had that kind of money. And those hungry that had come to him, Jesus filled. John says they ate until they were full. They ate until they were overflowing. They ate until they were stuffed. They ate until they felt like if they took another bite, they, they would throw up. They had eaten so much. And it was probably the first really fully satisfying meal that any of them had ever had. He filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he sent away empty. The Bible tells us of a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And he came and he asked what good thing he must do to inherit eternal life. And uh, Jesus said, well, you, you know the commandments. What do the commandments say? You obey the commandments. And he said, which ones? And Jesus focused on the commandments that focused on love to his neighbor, servant to his neighbor. And the, the young ruler said... I've kept all those things from my youth, but yet I feel like I still lack something. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And that rich man had put his trust and his confidence in his things. And Matthew tells us he went away sad because he had many possessions. He had come seeking what good thing he must do to inherit eternal life. But he refused to turn and follow Jesus no matter what it cost him. And he was sent away empty. Jesus has come to turn the world right side up. To scatter the proud. To put down the mighty. To send away the rich. But exalt the lowly and fill the hungry with good things. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And a righteousness that does not come from obedience to the law. That rich young man thought that he had fulfilled the law. He thought that according to the law he had proven himself righteous. But the truly 
hungry and thirsty. And those that fear him recognize that the law was never given to show us how we might be saved, but the law was given to show us that we need to be saved, like Mary, that we need a Savior. Striving, working, trying to have obeyed uh, to fulfill the law, and yet finding a lack of satisfaction and finding ourselves condemned, guilty as lawbreakers. And by God's Spirit, hungering and thirsting for a righteousness that does not come from the law, but comes from outside of us and comes as a gift of God's grace. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, they will be filled. Those who recognize their need for a Savior, those who, who, who uh, recognize their weakness, their poverty of spirit, their need for a Savior, and they hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the ones that Jesus will fill, that he will exalt, that he will gather to himself. Jesus is sent into the world to turn the world right side up. And so when Elizabeth speaks exalting words to Mary, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, the babe in my... In my uh, womb leapt for joy when he heard your voice the mother of my lord mary then turns and exalts and magnifies the lord who has come to turn the world right side up her world her life calling her from her lowly state to be one who would be blessed among women and all generations would call her blessed and turning the world right side up casting out the proud gathering the humble, throwing down the mighty, exalting the lowly, sending away the rich empty, and filling those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And so Mary focuses on the Lord. She focuses on God who has come to turn all things right side up. And notice that she does not focus on her immediate circumstances. She doesn't focus on the things that are happening to her right then, right there. She doesn't say anything about the baby that she's going to bear uh, directly. She doesn't say anything about her circumstances. She doesn't say anything about uh, the, the trials that she's going to face, the joy that she experiences, the trials that she's going to face when she speaks to Joseph and when her neighbors all begin to gossip and talk about her. She doesn't say anything about the, the troubles that she will experience. She's not focused on her circumstances, but she is focused on generation to generation. She is focused on God's eternal plan and God's eternal purposes, not her temporary, immediate circumstances. Her glory is lifted above the temporary and focused on the eternal. She focuses on God's grace to the whole world from generation to generation. God's eternal purpose and not just the temporary circumstances of her own life. She deflects the attention from herself and praises God. She deflects her attention from the temporary and looks at God's overall purpose. And she focuses on the future. And even these, most of these things that she shares about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as she prophesies, as she speaks about God's plan in the same way that Hannah did, mostly she's talking about focused on things that will come to their fullness, not the first time that her son comes into the world, but when Jesus returns in power and glory. There are hints of it, as we talked about, him feeding the 5,000 and sending the rich young ruler away. But in his life, in his earthly life, it seems that the proud, that the mighty, that the rich have their way with him. He comes, he preaches against them, he opposes the proud, he opposes the mighty, he opposes the rich. He confronts them with their self-righteousness, with their pride and their arrogance, and they come against him, and they appear to succeed. They succeed in turning one of his closest friends against him. To 
lead them to him when he's away from the crowds so that they might seize him. The proud come against him. The arrogant come against him. The powerful come against him with their weapons of war. They bind him. They take him away. And they take him to the judge, to the Roman governor, who condemns him to death, who condemns him to be crucified. It looks like the proud have won. It looks like the mighty have accomplished their purpose. It looks like the rich have succeeded in bribing his follower and handing him over to be crucified. And he dies on a cross, lifted up, condemned as a traitor, as a blasphemer. They succeed in murdering her son. And as the sword pierces his side, as Simeon says, the sword pierced her own soul. It looks like the proud, the mighty, the rich have won. But God, according to his foreknowledge, and God, according to his, uh, his plan and his purpose to redeem sinful people unto himself, God sent his son into the world to turn things right side up. And far from winning, the rich, the mighty, the powerful, the proud, they condemned their own selves in rejecting the Son of God, God the Son. And God, as Jesus was dying, God had sent His Son into the world to die for the sins of His people. The lowly, the humble, those who recognize their need for a Savior, those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize that they are helpless and hopeless, they need a Savior. God sent His Son into the world to be the Savior, to take the punishment that they deserve, to die on the cross, under God's wrath, so that the humble might be gathered so that the lowly might be exalted so that the hungry might be filled by God's grace through his work in his son Jesus Christ who had come to turn the world right side up so Jesus died on the cross for the sins of his people God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted he calls us to recognize our need for a savior recognize our poverty of spirit recognize that we are helpless and hopeless and to hear the voice of the son of God the good shepherd and be gathered to him and highly exalted by God's grace through our faith in Jesus blessed not because of who we are but because God chose us and God draws us through his son God has come to turn the world right side up. And all of these things will happen in their fullness and in their completion when Jesus comes again. And so Mary didn't just see the temporary, the, the effects that this was going to have on her life in the next nine months, in the next two years, in the next 30 years. No, she saw God's work and God's purpose from generation to generation until the very end of the age when Jesus comes again and scatters the proud, puts down the mighty, sends the rich away empty-handed, and gathers the humble, exalts the lowly, and fill those who are hungering and thirsting with righteousness, with good things, and set them on the throne where they will reign with him forever and ever when things finally have been turned right side up and there is no more sin there is no more curse there is no more death there is no more dying because God has turned things right side up for his glory and for his son the man Jesus to have dominion over all of creation and to reign forever and ever with the world right side up so Mary doesn't focus on herself or her circumstances she focuses on God and his eternal plan and then also God's promise. She magnifies God as the one who keeps his promise. So God turns things right side up. He's done it in her life, for her personally. He turns things right side up from generation to generation. 
And finally, number three, he keeps his promises to Israel. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And so she magnifies the Lord who turns things right side up and she magnifies the Lord who keeps his promises. Notice her focus here is the promise that she made to Abraham, that God made to Abraham after he had scattered the nations in Genesis chapter 11 and created the nations, created the ethnicities by confusing their language and scattered them over the earth. He chose one man. One man out of all those people to become the father of a nation through whom he would bring his son. One man, Abraham, blessed by God. And Abraham was blessed by God not because of anything in him, not because of who he was, but he was blessed by God because he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God, therefore he was blessed. He was chosen to be blessed. And he was chosen to be blessed, a blessing to all the nations of the earth. God promised Abraham that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. And notice Moses, Moses, I mean Mary focuses on, on God's promise to Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant of grace. Choosing Abraham out of all the people of the earth to be the father of a nation, out of all the nations of the earth, the one through whom he would bring his son, bring a blessing to all the earth. Mary focuses on God's promise, not God's law. Notice she doesn't say anything about Moses. She doesn't say anything about Sinai. She doesn't say anything about the law because righteousness does not come through the law. Righteousness comes by grace through faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness. The law was given to show them how to live as people of God and to show them their need for a Savior. Moses and Mary focuses on God not as a lawgiver, but as the giver of grace and the one who keeps his promises. God would turn things right side up because that was his promise that was his word that was his covenant that was his plan that was his purpose that was revealed to Abraham and so when Elizabeth speaks lofty words about Mary she deflects that from herself and she magnifies the Lord God she recognizes her need for a savior God's grace upon her life and how he had come and set her life right side up by his sovereign grace, choosing her and blessing her because she was chosen. She magnifies the Lord who had come to set things right, not just in her generation, not just in her time, not just in her life, but for generation to generation and forever and ever to be fulfilled at the end of the age as God comes and he turns things right side up for his glory over all forever and ever. In fulfillment of his promise. You know, we should not build statues to Mary, statues of Mary. We should not pray to Mary and ask her to go and intercede for us to her, um, uh, you know, for us to her son and plead with her son to hear our prayers. But there is a lot that we can learn from Mary as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. She recognizes her need for a Savior. As blessed as she is, she recognizes that that's not because of her, but it's because of God's grace. She is blessed not because of anything within her, but because God has chosen her. She recognizes her need for a Savior, and she rejoices in the Lord. She deflects any praise that she might receive and focuses on where it rightly belongs, on God himself. She recognizes her need for a Savior, and she recognizes... God's plan and God's purpose to redeem the sinful people to himself. She praises God. She doesn't focus on her circumstances. She doesn't focus on just her time, but she focuses on God's eternal purpose to redeem sinful people to himself and to turn the world right side up. We can learn from that. And focus on God's grace, God's kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And whatever circumstance that we are enduring, whatever thing that we're going through, whatever difficulties we might have because of God's purpose on our life, like Mary, she, she believed God. She simply believed. May it be to me as you have said. 
I am the Lord's slave girl, submitted to his will, no matter what it would cost. We can believe, we can submit, and we can know that whatever circumstances God is leading us through, whatever things are going on in our life, God is accomplishing a purpose that is far greater, far bigger than us. For generation to generation, forever and ever, for his glory and the glory of his son Jesus. We can learn from Mary. May our soul magnify the Lord. And may our spirit rejoice in God, our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word, and Lord, we're thankful for the truth of it, and we're thankful for your plan and your purpose in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your sovereign grace, calling to yourself those that you have chosen to bless with repentance and faith. And Lord, we thank you that you have chosen the weak, the foolish, the things that are not, the humble, the poor in spirit, the meek. We thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus who has come to turn the world right side up, to do away with sin and death, and to bring your glory and your righteousness and your truth forever and ever as Jesus sits on the throne of David in a kingdom, a reign, a rule that will never end. Help us to trust in him completely and to magnify you and to rejoice in God, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let me encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn number 302, Rejoice, the Lord is King.